Today on the Zabecast, if you don't like broadcasting a sport and have lots of money and lots of fame, why don't you just say no? Well, but if you're Dr. Costas, a righteous part-time neurologist, well, you just can't leave enough alone. The AAF is up and running, and I'd say week one was a success, but let's not go overboard just yet. And we got Lego Movie Review, a reminder to back up your data, and Lenny Dykstra still a menace. Bonus Abe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Monday, February 11, 2019. Thank you for downloading. So the AAF is up and running. I'll talk more about it today on the Zabecast. Interesting sort of opening. It got a decent number television-wise, not overwhelming. And the product, most people said, was pretty good. The bottom line is we don't care about any of these teams right now, and that's the essence of the NFL, people caring. Even for the worst of the worst teams, people care deeply about the Browns, the Lions, yes, the Redskins. Oh, we're in that category, brother. We care deeply about them because there's history. It's going to be, we're going to need a good 30, 40 years of rooting for the San Diego fleet to then say, damn it, I got to play better than this. As a lifelong fleet fan, in fact, somebody had a great tweet saying, typical fleet, couldn't run the ball, couldn't protect the quarterback, lost a lead, didn't do any adjustments at halftime. Very tough. It's been plaguing them all season long. <laughs> Very tough as a longtime fan. One game. I know this, Bob Costas will not be hosting the fleet, the, uh, what should we call it, the you will not be hosting whatever championship game there is. I don't think they're calling the AAF championship game a bowl. But I know this, Bob Costas will not be hosting it. Over the weekend, ESPN put out a long piece outside the lines, that division, uh, written by Mark Fainaruwada, good reporter. It's a good piece. It's a long piece. But it essentially, if I could sum it up for you, if it is TLDR for you, and it's long, boo-hoo, Bob Costas got canned by big, mean Roger Goodell. I say, good. Nobody misses you, shrimpy Bob, when it comes to the NFL. Basically, Costas said that his ongoing stance and his commentary about concussions and the game of football ended up getting him booted from what was going to be his farewell broadcast on NBC when it comes to football, which was the Super Bowl a week and a half ago. week and a half ago? No, a week ago. Just one week ago. Just think, one week ago we were sitting around going, damn, this game's boring. Wish there was some AAF football I could watch. So here is the essence of Costas. Costas has been for years big on the concussion front, and he said the following, as I got closer and closer to the game, I became ambivalent about it. The sheer violence of the game and then the celebration of that violence, even before CTE became a specific issue, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. That felt stupid to me. Costas did host Inside the NFL on HBO for six years, beginning in 2002, 
but he says he justified that in his mind because the show provided autonomy to offer commentary and typically conveyed a level of journalism. Well, whatever you need to make you feel better about taking the check, Bobby boy. But when NBC got back into the football game in 2005, and they got the rights to Sunday Night Football. Costas says Dick Ebersol asked him to return as host, and he agreed, quote, out of loyalty, and quote, as kind of a good soldier. Oh, for fuck's sake. God, I want to slap him. Oh, you want me to do the NFL? You want me to do the show on Sunday night before the NFL game we have? Okay. I'll be a good soldier and do it. Did you cash the checks, Bobby? So I'm now already starting to get pissed off reading this article. During week two of the 2010 season, following a series of high-profile concussion-related incidents, Costas presented his first essay about the topic to NBC viewers. The essay included the following, quote, More and more is being learned about about the now undeniable link between concussions, especially repeat concussions, and subsequent problems with dementia, depression, early-onset Alzheimer's, an entire array of serious medical problems stemming from an injury that is more common in football than in most other sports. Here's the truth, Costas said. America's most popular sport is a fundamentally dangerous game where the risk of catastrophic injury is not incidental, it is significant. He said that on Sunday Night Football. In the ensuing years, as research accumulated, writes Fainaruwada, Costas became more emboldened. His blend of humor, wit, and unfiltered opinion was gold on the talk show circuit. Gold, Jerry! From CNN to Bill Maher to the NBC Today show, as well as anyone who wanted to discuss the dangers of football. See, this is the problem. He became the anti-football guy at a very well-spoken, sharp-looking, and credible voice. As, yeah, football's terrible. It's the worst. It'll kill you. Ruin your brain. But I'm here to talk about it. And, by the way, I'm over here to grab a paycheck while I'm at it. In a 2011 conversation with Robert Lipsite of the New York Times, which you're about to hear right now, he told an audience the following. Bob Costas saying that there are, we need caution, uh, and in concussions. Bob Costas is also saying, we've got a grip on this. No. Bob Costas is saying everything is going to be all right. Uh, absolutely because not. Because they're letting me say this. Absolutely not. You're, you're, you're inferring that, and that inference makes no sense to me. Let, me. let me be as clear as I can possibly be. I like football to the extent that I like it, mm-hmm. and baseball is my favorite sport. But I like football to the extent that I like it, despite its violence, not because of it. Mm -hmm. If you could somehow create a game where every tackle would simply stop the ball carrier, Mm -hmm. but never even... Listen to this nonsense. Even sustain a scrape. I think it's called flag football. No, no, but you did. Flag (laughs) football then would would reduce the the level of difficulty in stopping the Mm -hmm. runner. But... If you could remove the violence and brutality from the game somehow, I would enjoy it more. Right? I think, as I said to Goodell on the air, mm-hmm. I said, what do you say to the parents of an athletically gifted 13-year-old boy 
who tell you that they've been football fans their entire life, season ticket holders, never miss a Super Bowl, but knowing what we now know, we will not allow our son to play football. How could you possibly argue against their position? I would. I think Goodell realizes say, that that makes a lot of sense. Play if you There's want a to. Limit to don't what if he you can don't. Acknowledge. And in his position, he's trying to do the best he can, both for humane reasons, the safety of the players, but also because he realizes his league faces liability mm-hmm. issues. Um, a lot of lawyers will tell you that the concept of willing assumption of risk indemnifies the league against these claims. But even as we speak, 12 former players have filed suit just this week claiming that um, the league soft-pedaled its own knowledge of the dangers of concussions and gave them drugs that sent them back onto the field and put them at further risk. Um, you know, so, so he's, he's, in, he's in that position. But let me make my position clear. I think that the violence and the level of violence in the National Football League and its celebration by parts of the media, I mean, up until recently, ESPN used to have a feature called He Got Jacked Up. Yeah, mm-hmm. loved and it. And they had their, their commentators, some of them career announcers, some of them former players, chortling like drunken frat boys. He got jacked up. And then they would say, well, of course, none of the people uh, featured in these plays was seriously hurt. But the only difference between those plays and plays that result in catastrophic injuries, including paralysis, is luck and happenstance. And when you have a game where players celebrate. They don't celebrate good plays and clean tackles that Amos Alonzo Stagg would have taught. They, they celebrate the hit that blows the opponent up, and they stand over him, and they celebrate it. Except when that guy doesn't get up, all right, then this ritual plays out. A hush falls over the stadium. Players from both hands, from both teams, join hands. Then they place the guy on a gurney. More often than not, as he leaves, he's able to give a thumbs up, and everyone applauds, including if he's a visiting player. The announcer then somberly says, well, that really puts it all in perspective. And that perspective is maintained for about two plays. And then we go right back onto the same thing, all right? The game is unacceptably brutal. Can I say it any more clearly than that? It is unacceptably brutal. Oh, for fuck's sake, what a pussy. Yeah, if there is a way football could be played where you can stop the runner without a scratch, I'd like it even more. Kudos to Lipsight for saying, yeah, it's called flag football. Costas is like, uh, well, eh, that would sort of render the skill. I played one year of organized tackle football with helmets, youth football. McLean, youth football. Got the photos to prove it. Wasn't for me, not with helmets on and pads. Oh, I played as a kid in the neighborhood, but fuck. Helmets, pads, kids bigger than me? Eh, like Costas. A little too violent for me. And that's just fine, because that's the essence of football. Even with the cleanest of hits and taking the head out of the game, when you get dump trucked by another boy or man bigger than you, and it takes the wind out of you, that's the essence of football because football teaches you to shake it off. You're not dead, are you? Get the fuck up and get back in the huddle. That's the essence of football. I agree that there's too much celebrating on cheap shot hits sometimes or or headshot hits, but that's being 
carved out of the game at this point. But guys do also celebrate good plays or good tackles. It's just such nonsense. Unacceptably brutal. What does that mean, unacceptably? Well, what level of, is it just pro, Bob, or is it college as well? And hearing your description of this, and this is 2011, how in the hell could you still take a check to do anything football-related with NBC? Also, he went on NBC's Meet the Press and said, quote, the way football is currently played in the NFL is fundamentally unsustainable. And then in the following year, on the last word, he called the sport inherently violent and brutal and suggested that head trauma could lead to off-field criminal conduct by some players. Now Bob Costas is getting out way over his skis. So we fast forward a number of years. Uh, I want to say this is 2015. By the time the divisional playoffs rolled around, less than two months after his concussion essay was killed, Costas wrote this big essay after the movie Concussion premiered and wanted to roll it out on Sunday Night Football, and he showed it to his bosses, Ebersol and others, and they go, great essay, wouldn't have changed a word, wouldn't have moved a comma, can't air it. And Costas like, what? Why? Why can't we? Hey, dummy, this is our product. This is our partner. We're not going to let you keep on going on on this Jeremiah ad. Secondly, what they should have told him, I don't think they did, was, who fucking made you a neurosurgeon? Oh, you saw a movie about concussions, and you believe this one doctor totally. See, the thing about concussions and whatever link, whether it's a tenuous link, whether it is a contributing link, whether it is causal or whether it is correlational and factoring out for genetics and family history and drug use and steroid use and depression and a bunch of other things, we don't know what ex-football players are going to suffer from dementia that may have been triggered by concussions. Because If it was just a matter of, oh, if you bang your head enough playing football, you're going to be eating, you know, mush out of a bowl at age 50. If it was that easy, we'd have have huge hospitals full of ex-NFL players. There have been a number of players, let's call it a dozen, two dozen, maybe even three dozen, over the span of like 50 years and 1,500 players in the league every year that have had some pretty bad stories. What's the percentage on that? How does that percentage compare to the rest of the general population and on and on? But no, no, no. Dr. Costas, he's got it all figured out here. Even the scientists, the ones that, if you read the scientific journals and the studies on this or read the summaries of them, I'm not going to pretend that I've read any actual scientific journal, but I've read write-ups and recaps of, hey, there's a new journal out that says this, and they highlight it, and you're like, okay. Even the scientists are like, yeah, CTE is, it's, it's real, it's something. We're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying to see how it fits into the big picture, but it's early. It's way early. What I know and what Bob Costas knows about concussions is the size of a marble. 
what the scientists know about concussions in football is like a basketball. And I would bet that what we would someday know eventually about it is the size of the Staples Center. But don't stop Bob Costas from saying, this is so awful, it's so terrible. So after this uh, essay that he wrote was killed, Costas had finally had enough. In speaking with Bob Raceman of the New York Daily News, he said the league's promotion is a bit little much to take while watching a game that you're constantly bombarded with football as family because that was the year they promoted football as family. So now Bob Costas has a problem with the NFL's marketing angles and marketing department. He described to Raceman the significant number of players acting like creeps and criminals and concluded with, you see all this stuff, and the first thing that comes to mind is not a Norman Rockwell painting. Yes, football's family bring out the hearts and tinkling piano music because it really is a touching tableau. Wow. So I guess Bob doesn't want to visit the families of football players, current and former, that do look like a Norman Rockwell painting with a big, large, happy family with the one guy who played in the NFL providing a better life and a financial future for all of them that would have been beyond their wildest dreams. It didn't take long for Costas, writes Fanner Uwada, to hear from his bosses. Why did he need to take a gratuitous pot shot at NBC's biggest business partner? My response was, says Costas, the purpose of it is so I can sleep at night, you know? Fuck you! Sleep better by not taking the check! Oh, I want the money. I want the platform. I want the fame. But I need to then say this is so awful. God, what a dick. Some of this is like blinking in a hostage video, he told Outside the Lines. It's like, you know I sort of have to do this. I hope you get what I'm really thinking right now. Yeah, yeah, we get it. You hate football and the NFL. Or maybe the NFL because Goodell didn't agree to an interview with you. Or maybe you just hate the NFL, you don't hate college football. Or maybe you hate Division One college football, but not Division Two or Three. Where do you stand on high school football? Is that okay, Dr. Costas? It wasn't until November 7th of 2017 that Costas finally committed NFL career suicide. Appearing at a journalism symposium at the University of Maryland, he told a crowd of more than 400, quote, the issue in sports is that most substantial That is most substantial. The issue in sports that is most substantial, the existential issue, is the nature of football itself. Remember, he wants the game to be, if he could stop the ball carrier without a scratch on his body, I'd like that game. He then went on a nearly one-and-a-half-minute riff about football and brain damage that was punctuated by this statement, quote, the reality of this The reality is that this game destroys people's brains. Not everyone's, but a substantial number. It's not a small number. It's a considerable number. It destroys their brains. Hey, end the research. Put your smocks and your lab coats away. It's done. Dr. Costas has figured it out. What a fucking arrogant Dickweed, Bob Costas is. Substantial. It's not a small number. 
It's considerable. Again, percentages. Show me the numbers. Tell me the how and the why. Control for other possible factors. Explain how guys like Herschel Walker can be perfectly cogent having played running back. If football was this dangerous, Jerry Rice should be dead. Emmett Smith, who played forever. Yes, there's sad stories about Junior Seau. He played way too long. He had a lot of other stuff going on. Oh, by the way, over-medicated, etc. You can't just take these anecdotal things and say, well, look, there's two dozen, three dozen. That's a lot. How many more do you need? It's called life, man. And of course, I'm not saying football is healthy or safe per se. I mean, it's unsafe. It's crazy at the NFL level. But there's a lot of things that are unsafe in a general sense that either have to be done or people choose to do it. I would say crabbing in the North Sea is one of those. We don't really need to eat king crab, but whoa, they are delicious. And there's a price that goes with it. And so for the price for probably $22 a pound retail for Alaskan king crab leg, you will have high school dropouts in Alaska get on a boat, risk losing their arm, getting impaled by the hauler, uh, by a hook, being swept overboard, because they can make more money doing that than they can do anything else. And they'll do that job. And there's a market for it, just like there's a market for football. The NFL has really it's sanded off a lot of the rough edges, a lot of the harder edges of the game. And we've bitched about them because they have gone aggressively far. And I'm not saying the NFL was totally forthcoming about the possible risks and dangers of concussions. But then again, what did you want them to do? Come running out with the report going, oh my God, stop everything. Stop our billion-dollar business model. This might be dangerous to people. Anyway, by this point, Costas's line at Maryland, this game destroys people's brains, had gone viral, raising hackles in the NBC offices. The Daily News asked NBC for comment, and the spokesman responded, Bob's opinions are his own, and they do not represent those of NBC Sports Group. Prompting a story from Bob Raceman under the headline, quote, NBC throws Bob Costas under the bus and in the process sends a warning to the rest of its talent. The rest of the talent didn't need a fucking warning. The rest of the talent understood the deal. A, I'm here to call a football game because football has a lot of redeeming values and a lot of people play it without suffering any significant long-term effects. In fact, the overwhelming majority do. That's A. And B, I'm not a fucking neurologist. So what do I know? Costas was then told he's off the Super Bowl broadcast of Super Bowl 52. Costas says to Outside the Lines, I recall the phrase, being mentioned to me when that was told, quote, it's a six-hour, day-long celebration of football, and you're not the right person to celebrate football. No shit. To which my response was not, oh, please, please change your mind. My response was, yeah, I guess you're right. Fast-forwarding to the end of this long piece, you can read it outside the lines, espn.com slash... ESPN slash OTL slash story, blah, blah, blah. You'll find it. Yada, yada, yada. Too long, didn't read. At the end of the day, Costas, you know, Costas had said that his exit from NBC was so-called fair and amicable. And he should have left it at that. 
when Outside the Lines came calling saying, we'd like to do a story about what happened, maybe he could have just said, no, I've said all I had to say. It was a fair and amical parting. I had a great run. I'm perfectly happy. But no, he just had to get one more shot in there. It's a pity. I've liked Bob Costas over the years, but on this front, what a little dick nozzle. Goodbye, Bobby. No one's going to miss you. So the AAF began on Saturday. Four games, well, not four, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, I believe. But the first televised game of the Alliance of American Football got underway on Saturday night. I caught a little bit of it, not a whole lot. I didn't sit down and take notes and stuff. But there was a lot of good tweets. I'll walk through some of them. I did see the hit, though, that is being passed around the Internet as glorious football porn. It was quarterback Mike Bercovici of the San Diego Fleet. Mike Bercovici. Never heard of him. Getting waylaid, or as Bob Costas likes to say, jacked up by Sean Washington. That's S-H-A-A-N Washington. Never heard of him. It's what happens when a guy, and by the way, Josh Johnson, Redskin quarterback, should have been playing in this game, but because he's under contract with the Redskins until March, and they're working on a new deal for him, he's not playing for the fleet, which he once said he would, and there's more on that in a second, but Berkovici, I don't know where he played or what he did, he was in there, and he didn't see a frontside blitzing linebacker in the form of Washington, and he got destroyed on a hit that, oh, in the NFL would have been flagged a million times out of a million. People are joking, 20-year ban for that guy for the hit. I'm not so sure it was quite helmet-to-helmet. I'm looking at a still picture here. And he does catch Berkovici with the top of his helmet near his face mask. It was enough force, and he hit him right in the perfect spot where the helmet itself just went, pop, popped right off like a champagne cork. And Berkovici got laid out. Here's how it sounded uh, on the broadcast. My goodness, oh, the humanity. Even SportsCenter wrote, welcome to the AAF where this is a legal hit. Not a single flag came out on that play. That's the one thing that's going to keep interest going in this league if they can sustain it. The ability to tell their referees, no, we really don't want those ticky-tack things called. We want it to keep going. So here's a selection of tweets from a variety of people about the first weekend of the AAF. Another soundbite real quick. The old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, yep, coaching the Orlando club. Yep. Here was him mic'd up, and this is one of the things the AAF does. They mic everybody up, and they broadcast it, including the re- the replay official upstairs. Interesting. We'll get to that in a sec. Here was Spurrier, though, <laughs> calling in a play, and notice the one thing he reminds the quarterback to tell the wide receiver. Very similar Tell him to catch it this time. Tell him to catch it this time. They're talking over Spurrier. Very similar pass Tell him to catch it this time. 
Tell him to catch it this time. Yeah, the old ball coach. Uh, there was a spider cam angle of a play that I think the NFL would have never permitted the spider cam to be flying that much in the play. Here's what it sounded like. You really have to see it to kind of fully get it. Come on, where's my volume? Give me the volume, people. I need the volume. Working with a new setup here today. More on that as well later. Uh, not giving me the volume. Okay. Fuck off then. Maybe they didn't have volume on it. Uh, either way, it was like a Philly special double reverse near the goal line. And the pass damn near hits the camera as the camera was at the line of scrimmage while the pass was being thrown. I love it. I love it. Take chances. Give us some angles. Give us some stuff that we otherwise don't get or don't see from the NFL. Damon Amendolora, Amendolora, DA as he's called, DA on CBS, tweets, early takeaways on the AAF, no flags on huge QB hits is curiously therapeutic and marvelous. Sped up pace is fantastic, reminds you of how slow the NFL game is. Everybody mic'd up in real time is transparent and fun. There's talent here. It's cool to watch them get a chance. Noted that's DA on CBS, be the partner of the league itself. Stuart Mandel from SI tweeted, now there's an update. WVTM13 has an update on a player. It says Birmingham Iron defensive tackle Lawrence Okoye, what if he's related to Christian, was arrested on a prostitute charge this week. He has been officially ruled out for Sunday's game due to a groin injury. Go, 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 groin injury. Prostitution charge, groin injury, get it? <laughs> and of course, his mugshot, I don't know what's going on with his hair, but it's a, a mugshot that looked like the Key and Peel skit with all the, the funny names. You know, Jasmarius Tactheratrix. He's like, okay, was he pimping or was he prostituting himself? I don't know. Make for some awkward locker room discussions. Here's the review sequence. And in addition to you getting to hear what they're saying about, we're going to let it stand. Okay, here's here's what we're going to do. It's a woman, a woman calling the review. The ball hits the ground. I'm going to let this stand. Terry Valenti is her name. I don't know her refereeing background or administrative background, but I'm assuming she's qualified enough to make reversals on calls on the field while looking at video. Hell, she can't be worse than Alberto Riveron. Terry Valenti, the replay He's rolling on the ground. He's using the ground to keep it in there. The ball, the ground helps him. We're going to let it stand. So she's going to agree with the call on the field. No touchdown. She feels that the ground helped the catch at the end of the catch. Ball is down on the ground sliding. That shit was not a catch. So, the internet's buffering right now. I apologize for that. But, yeah, Terry Valenti, I need to find out her background. Sean Pendergra... Pendergast says, hey, AAF, just a suggestion. If you're going to cater to gamblers and fantasy players, I'd update your website with, oh, you know, scores of games. 
clicking on your schedule page, it's like the games last night haven't even been played yet, just trying to help. That is embarrassing. Now, a number of people said here, it's on the app. They do update on the app. That's embarrassing, though. I mean, you got to have a robust digital team that makes sure the website looks great and actually looks legit and has all the numbers there available right away, especially for gamblers. The more numbers, the better. Get people into, trick people into thinking, oh, I got this league wired. I know how this league's going to go. Doug Farrar, formerly of Shutdown Corner, writes for the NF, writes NFL, uh, believe for, let's see, USA Today Sports Media Group, Doug Farrar. I don't want to hear a single derogatory word about the AAF when the NFL made me watch Nathan Peterman. That's a good one. Andrew Brandt tweeted, the AAF players all signed the same three-year contract. 70 grand first year, 80 grand second year, 100 grand the third year if the league makes it to year three. Nothing guaranteed. They can leave for the NFL, but they cannot leave for another league, i.e. the XFL 2020, although I'm sure there will be lawyers. Yes, that's Andrew Brandt's catchphrase. Very unbrand for Andrew Brandt. Deke Zucker writes, Here's a conspiracy theory for you, courtesy of my old man. The AAF is Goodell's secret plan to create a body of football players ready to step in and take over as replacements or scabs when he locks out the NFLPA in two years. I replied back, not nearly that smart. And secondly, I don't think scabs would work in today's media environment, but maybe we'll find out in 2020. So 2020 lockout's coming? 2021, maybe, something like that. Hope there's not a lockout. And then our boy Timmy Murray, who, of course, uh, does a gambling-related show with Michael Jenkins, NBC Sports Radio. Ding, ding, free plug. Timmy says, not trying to rain on the ratings parade, but let's see how the number the AIF pulls in three or four weeks from now when the new car smell has faded. I simply replied, you're raining. Not to rain on the parade, but let's wait a bit. You're raining, Tim. I believe the XFL drew a rating that was close to mm, 9.5, I believe. And it quickly dropped to less than half of that within a couple of weeks. But the NFL or the XFL was trying to be something it couldn't live up to. We're going to go in the cheerleaders locker room at halftime. Remember that stunt? We're going to have guys sprint and scrum for the opening kickoff. Now, the the, AAA, the AAF just seems to say, we're just going to cut out all the shit you hate, not call the other stuff that annoys you, give you transparency on reviews and stuff like that, and get in and out in two and a half hours. I don't know. Has a chance, I guess. I give it two years. Excuse me. Two years, that's it. If it sounds like I'm coming to you on a different mic and a different room set up than normal, you, your ears are correct. I'm actually trying out a new piece of equipment, which I think is goddamn genius. I think it's going to be a huge hit with us podcasters. And by us podcasters, I mean everybody in the world as a podcast. Now, nah, I don't feel like I'm irrelevant. It's called the Road Podcaster or Roadcaster Pro. Roadcaster Pro. Road is a microphone and audio company. I believe they're based in Australia, might or New Zealand, something like that. They know what they're doing. They're good. Good at road. R-O-D-E. That O has a slash through it. 
for some reason. So this setup, it's ingenious. It's like four microphone inputs, three auxiliary sound inputs, including a Bluetooth channel where you can Bluetooth link up your iPad or phone for interviews, a USB input so you can hook up your computer like I have as well. And it even has it has eight color-changeable touchpad panels to fire off sound effects. Like, well, for example, this is what came through. Whoa, 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 it's loud. Welcome back, everybody, to the Douchebag Podcast. Boy, I got some hot takes today, and you're going to like them. But first, let's take a listen to our sponsors. Today's podcast brought to you by my mom's cookies. Upstairs, my mom is is cooking a nice batch of cookies. Available sometime soon. So they got that. <laughs> Give me a laugh track. That was okay. That's enough. Oh, applause! Can slide it up and down. It's got a lot of good features. I, I I like it. I think it's going to be good in that. I'm going to try to start doing a series of live podcasts because a that's where there's some money that can be made. If you say, hey, I'm going to be at so and so's bar and grill or so and so's chicken shack or whatever. We're going to do a, a one hour show. And then of course we record it. And then if you didn't get to Joe's chicken shack that night, you can listen to it. And if it's any good, you'll like it. It also lets you record right inside the unit itself. So it's a very all in one situation. They also say that their microphone channels have processing, extra processing. Can you hear that? Can you hear that deep bass? I think it sounds better than my setup upstairs in my office. Right now, I'm in the five-hour energy dome, and I'm just sitting here at the back table podcasting, which I kind of like because it's a little more enclosed. It's not upstairs where my wife and daughters can hear me saying, fuck Bob Costas, because I know they can through the crack in the door, and there's not a whole lot of soundproofing upstairs. And it's a really slick unit. I like it. Yeah, it's got the uh, bass end boost. It's got it's got something that sounds very dirty, like the audible exciter. Yeah, the audible exciter setting. <laughs> Is that legal? Forty eight states plus Alaska and Hawaii. So, give me some feedback. Let me know how it sounds. And if you want to know more, uh, go check it out. Roadcaster Pro, pretty slick unit, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Oh, yeah, one more thing. I forgot to say why I'm also doing it on this setup tonight. My main computer at my desk at home in my studio, iMac 17-inch, no, 27-inch iMac 2017, took a giant shit Friday night into Saturday morning. I was up late Friday night editing some photos and clipping together some video clips. I went to... Uh, Chris Broussard, my podcast and marketing guru's son's hockey game, high school hockey game in Northern Virginia, which is amazing because that didn't exist when I was a kid. We have become in D.C. and Northern Virginia and the D.C. area a pretty decent hockey area, maybe better than decent. I'm not sure how good we are, but we're not chumps anymore. There's a lot of kids playing hockey, and there are kids who are good who get good enough to go play on club teams where it's even better. New Jersey, Massachusetts, Minnesota. Uh, But I digress. So 
I'm at their game, and it was great to see the kids out there skating. He's got one boy who's a senior, Stephen, and uh, his younger younger brother's two years his junior, Ryan, I think. And I was the guest announcer to announce senior night. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Freedom High and senior night here at the Ashburn Ice House. Okay, there we go. Enough of the cheesy sound effects. So I get home late Friday because the game didn't tip, didn't tip, didn't face off until 11.15. So I get home late, pour myself a Kraken and diet, release the Kraken, edit some photos, put together some clips. I'm starting to get really tired. Okay, let's go to bed. Wake up in the morning, get an error message on the main computer. I don't know what it said. It was sort of like, I'm a computer, and I don't know what to do. Okay, okay, settle down, everybody. Let's figure this out. Let's reboot. Let's unplug it. Okay, that's not working. Fuck. All right. Huh, what do I do? Call Apple. Apple's good. Their support is world class. I got right through. They call me back. Very helpful woman. Really knew her stuff. Starts walking me through the steps to try to get it back up and running. Well, of course... Of course, they first say, well, do you have a time machine backup that you can reboot from? And I said, boy, do I wish I did. Time machine is Apple's way of backing up your computer, and it's very simple. It's one button press, and it'll take snapshots of your computer periodically, as often as you like, every day, every week, every month. All you got to do is just get an extra hard drive, plug it in to your Mac, and then just set it and forget it. Like Ron Popeil's uh, chicken thing, rotisserie chicken. Set it, forget it. Did I do that? No, because I'm an idiot. So I don't have a backup for the files. There's a lot of files, too. There's a lot of podcasts on there, a lot of sound bites. And I'm like, fuck. So they're kind of like saying, well, you know, uh, last resort would be to go ahead and wipe wipe it clean and start over. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. So I started to download Mojave, I guess, which is the new operating system. And I've been hearing there's, it's kind of jacked up some people's computers. I should have never allowed for automatic updates in the first place. I don't know why I didn't turn that off. But it tries to download Mojave, and it takes forever because I don't have fast internet. It's a huge file. And then by the time, you know, two hours are gone, it just once again shits the bed. <laughs> Sorry, can't compute uh, Fraggle Quadrant 6C error code V11. So I tried it three times. It crashed every time, and I'm like, shit. Who do I call? <laughs> Listener Joe Kersdell, who helped save my hard drive earlier this year. God bless him. He's going to help me get on a thumb drive, an old operating system that'll probably cooperate with my Mac, uh, good old Sierra, uh, OS Sierra or High Sierra, and get back up and running. And then I'll be back up in my normal setup for podcasting, but I kind of think this one sounds better. I think I might be using this full time. I just might bring it upstairs. If anybody needs an overly large, ridiculous Mackie 12 channel mixer, with a bunch of analog inputs that's now suddenly outdated, well, let me know. Or just check eBay soon because it'll be there. Are we going to talk about your computer at the whole show? Shut up. How did the guy that 
taunts me, follow me downstairs into the basement. I have no idea. Dateline Philadelphia Lakers president Magic Johnson said the New Orleans Pelicans operated in bad faith during negotiations with his team over a deal for superstar Anthony Davis. However, he said he isn't dwelling on the trade deadline failure as he wants his players to shift their focus forward as well. Boo-hoo! Seriously? Come on, Magic. He said, and we knew when we first started in terms of what happened, but hey, it is what it is. Yeah, okay, so they did you dirty, and now you get to complain about it, right? Nobody can have any sympathy for Magic and the Lakers, right? You can rip the Pelicans saying they were stupid for doing it. They may not get a better deal this summer, although I think they will. Part of me kind of likes what the Pelicans did. In fact, no, all of me likes what the Pelicans did. The Pelicans felt like, you're trying to steal our guy. We're not going to let you do it. And we're going to jump out of the trunk of a car totally naked with my little peeny in a big bird bush and grab a crowbar and go Mr. Chow on you. You want the fuck on me? You want the fuck on me? And it's bam, bam, bam. That's what they did, the Pelicans. They said, okay, let's pretend like we were, we're going to trade them, and let's make the Lakers put every name of every player not named uh, LeBron or Rajon <laughs> into the trade, and then we'll just unplug our phone and be like, what? Yeah, no, we changed our mind. Not really interested anymore. Yeah, good luck the rest of the season. Good luck with that locker room. I'm sure everyone's cool. Over the weekend, I went to see the Lego movie, too. The second part, as they call it, with my daughter, Catherine, and one of her friends from high school, and her and that friend's mother, and, of course, my wife. It was a nice little family outing, partial family outing. For those that don't know, my daughter, Catherine, uh, is in, she's 19 years old. She's in continuing education in high school. She's on the special needs spectrum. She's autistic, and she's just such a funny little nutball. I love going to these animated movies with her because she's a big fan of pretty much anything that comes out that's an animated movie. And some are way better than others. Some are just dreadful. But I love going to the movies with her. She had been looking forward to Lego Movie 2 for a long time. And I really liked Lego Movie 1 because, and I'm going to spoil some things here, Lego Movie 1, unless you read the previews, you didn't know that there was an outer envelope of a story of Will Ferrell's character, the dad, who is obsessed even as a dad with Legos and getting everything perfect and building stuff and then gluing all the bricks together so it stays perfect and telling his kid, hey, don't touch those things. You didn't know that outer shell was actually the narrative for everything that was happening in the movie leading up to the very end. And so I'll be honest, I I cried Lego Movie 1. I'm like, I'm going to cry. The dad, the overbearing dad, and now he's realizing he's got to be cool to his son. So the Lego Movie 2 pushes that narrative forward, and it involves the, the kid who's older now and the sister who's also older now. And I won't explain really anything further beyond that, but it was difficult because the movie, the, the, the script writers had to know that anyone seeing Lego Movie 2 knew that there was an outer shell. And so everything that was happening in the Legoized world was somehow precipitated by what's happening in the larger real-life shell of the story. And so you're kind of 
sitting there as a viewer going, okay, what does that mean? How is that going to work out? The first movie, you didn't see the whammy coming. So it's good. I chuckled dozens and dozens of times at little jokes and asides and inside riffs and (laughs) references and callbacks. I love Will Arnett. I love listening to Elizabeth Banks. She's, she's, God, she is, she should be my number one, number one, my world number one, number one, because just her voice is hot. Like just watching her voice, stupid Lego Wildside or whatever the character's name is, Lucy, Emma, something like that. I'm like, it's hot, man. Sitting here kind of getting all worked up. Love Elizabeth Banks. Will Arnett as Batman is great. The whole Batman character and making fun of the Batman character, even though he's a Lego guy, is funny. And it was a it was a good movie. I caught a little bit of the Duke Virginia game when we were going to dinner afterwards. And I didn't see the Zion Williamson block in real time, but I did see it, of course, on my Twitter feed almost instantly after it happened. Holy God. That is an all-time highlight of Zion Williamson blocking that jump shot. Unbelievable. And there are still some people that aren't so sure about him as a pro prospect. In fact, there's one guy who has a very lucrative radio show in New York City who also has an app in which you can watch it. I'm not going to play it today. Partly because I don't have it. Partly because... You guys say I played too much of it, but oh yeah, Frances is like I'm telling you, he's 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 got a lot of work to do. It's not gonna his game is not gonna translate to the NBA. It just isn't. You take him number one, you're gonna regret it. Oh man, that clip is gonna be an all timer. I'm not saying he's gonna be a perfect product right away, but holy shit, he's not just a big stacked muscled meathead like his handle is sick and he's not just insanely athletic and doesn't just jump out of the gym at his size he has athletic instincts which matters as much as anything else guys that are big and athletic that can jump around oftentimes go off like a premature fireworks see JaVale McGee When you combine athletic instincts and you know the game and you know how to play the game like Zion Williamson does, then you're going to have somebody who is going to be sick at the next level. And I don't think I'm breaking any stories there, but obviously Francesa thinks otherwise. We'll end on this today. Lenny Dykstra is back in the news. Oh, Lenny, Lenny, Lenny. You may remember Lenny once started something called the Players Club. It was a magazine purportedly catering to high-end athletes. It wasn't the most insane idea in the world, but it was basically backed by nothing but flimsy accounting, if not outright fraud. He was then spending most of his days and weeks and months flying cross-country on private planes for no real particular reason and racking up all kinds of debt and hoodwinking people into all kinds of financial losses. He went to jail for that and is now out of jail. Lenny Dykstra is back in the news because, headline New York Post says, Lenny Dykstra escalates war with neighbors, claims he turned, quote, ugly bitch into rock star of a house. (laughs) 
Dykstra disputes complaints that he created a trash-strewn hellhole as Linden, New Jersey residents. Instead, he claimed he turned the real estate into the best house on the block. Quote, maybe the other houses are just jealous now that I have the best one now. I took an ugly bitch and made her into a beautiful rock star. The World Series champ is responding to a report from New Jersey Advanced Media where neighbors claim the home on a quiet, tree-lined street has been plagued with noise, trash, fights, and illegal borders. It all started when he moved in, said Linda Graham, who lives nearby. There have been two overdoses. There's been a scuffle on the front lawn. There are people who are here today, gone tomorrow. We don't know what these people are, and we're afraid. Dykstra said he heard about the overdose, but he was not there at the time. He added it was a construction worker. A neighbor also provided a picture with piles of trash in front of Dykstra's home, but the former center fielder said the picture was misleading. Quote, they picked it from trash day. Once a month in Linden, you can put out the trash. I'm OCD. So you think I'd have trash like that? That's garbage day, throwing out all the stuff from the work I did to make this house livable. Wait a minute. You only get once a month in Linden, New Jersey, to put out the trash? That seems un- not right. They asked me to do something, so I did it, Dykstra said about removing the tenants. I have a friend who stays there. We're in America. It's my house. Dykstra served more than six months in prison after pleading guilty for bankruptcy fraud and other crimes. Yeah, that would pretty much blow the neighborhood. Hey, honey, I think Lenny Dykstra just moved in, or at least Lenny Dykstra is now rehabbing houses and letting meth addicts live in them. Good times. That'll do it for today. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell a couple friends. Get the ZabeCast app. Subscribe to Premium. Zabe.com slash premium. You get Fridays as well as the normal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday goodness that is the ZabeCast. Podcasts are the future. I'm happy to be part of them. Email and feedback, Zabe at yahoo.com. Now get on out there. Buy some AAF gear and support never-ending football. 24-7, 365. If for no other reason than to piss off Bob Costas. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.